Hi, my name is Pastor Tony Garbarino of Providence Presbyterian Church. We're delighted that you tuned in to hear a message from God's Word. If you'd like to find more information about us, please go to providencefw.org, providencefw.org. We seek to be Bible-based, gospel-saturated, and Christ-centered. So please enjoy now this message. Thanks for coming. Turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, <clears throat> we continue this morning. Paul's letter. Chapter 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I'll be reading the first 11 verses. But before we hear God's word, let's ask his blessing upon it. Let's pray one more time. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, your word. We praise you that you have condescended to us and spoken to us and given us a sure word. We need not grow up around in the dark that you've revealed yourself to us therein. You've revealed to us the way of salvation in Christ. And this word is perfect and complete. Lord, you have shown us all that we would need to know for life and godliness. And we ask that you would help us now to believe it, to base our lives upon it. And Lord God, to find comfort, even as we are challenged when we hear it. So Lord, we ask that you would be with us now, and that your spirit would go with this word to your people. We ask it all in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. Please give your full attention. This is the Word of God. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one I have pained. And I wrote you as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of all of you. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart, and with tear, many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundance love that I have for you. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have not forgiven anything, has, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. The glass withers, the grass withers, and the flowers fade, but this word of our Lord endures forever. Well, we come this morning, as I said, we continue in 2 Corinthians, and like many of the letters of the New Testament, the focus moves from a macro picture to a micro, and then back out. It goes from the minutia of life, and then even to the glories of the resurrection and eternity before the face of God. We'll see this in 2 Corinthians, um, and we know from both Corinthian letters that the church there is, in Corinth is pretty messed up. There's a lot of problems going on there. Uh, as we've seen and we will see. 
in 1 Corinthians and then as we work through 2. Um, most of the congregation, you will recall, was made up of new believers, new converts. They were formerly involved, of course, in a Greco-Roman paganism, saved by the grace of God in Christ. And like many of the, of, of the Greeks of that time, the Corinthians were enamored by a person's ability to speak. Right? Speaking was very important to them. It was very important in the first century, uh, this very thing, and even to the extent that parents would train their children from the youngest of age, ages on how to breathe and speak, they would do a breath training. Um, and we see something of this in Ephesians chapter 1. You may or may not know this, but verses 3 to 14 in Ephesians chapter 1 is one long sentence in Greek, right? And why is that? That's about how much you could talk on one breath before you had to pause, right? And so this is, shows up very often, or this is a very prevalent thing. Um, but it was more than that. Uh, those in the first century were super impressed with good speakers, those with strong, powerful speaking skills uh, and, and the elocutionary arts, right? Rhetoric, charisma, and all the rest. And there was very close relation between style and significance and power of the person who was speaking, or at least presumed or assumed of them. And so those coming out of enculturated, grown up in the system, coming out of that, right, and they're still in the culture that does this, uh, were in a vulnerable place because of this. They were easily preyed upon by flashy, eloquent speakers who had taken upon themselves the title of apostle, right, which is kind of funny because... Uh, you know the word apostle means a sent one, one who is sent. Right? So how can he be self-sent? Right? That's why he calls them pseudo-apostles, false apostles. Right? They weren't sent by anyone but themselves. They were the ones who slithered in when Paul was away from Corinth. And they propped themselves up in the church with their speech and rhetoric and charisma. And by uh, criticizing Paul's preaching skills and Paul's dull personality as they saw it. Right? He's not charismatic. He's not a good speaker. He's slow and he's boring. And as we've already seen, the true apostle, Paul, he was put on the defensive, right? And he's forced to defend and define who he is and his calling. But remember, he's not defending, uh, he's not worrying about his own reputation. His concern is for the reputation of Christ and the word of the gospel. And so there's this requisite defining and defending of his true uh, apostleship and his apostolic authority. Along with this, he must also explain and defend the simple gospel fact that faith does not come through flowery words and flashy rhetorician or style or speech. It's not those things. But faith comes through the power of the Holy Spirit working through the word, read, heard, preached. Paul has much to say about preaching. In a little while, we'll look at this, um, particularly next week, the section that follows this section this morning, verses 12 and following. But here this morning, I want to focus on Paul's discussion about forgiveness, right, in verses 5 to 11 particularly. Uh, forgiveness, discipline, restoration, love, restoral. There's things that Paul goes into in this section, this passage, verses 5 to 11. Uh, the Holy Spirit, through Paul, exhorts the Corinthians to forgive this repentant brother, to restore him and to love him. There was obviously a danger of not doing so, even resistance to doing this very thing. Paul would not have had to write this to them. 
And you know, this is something that we can always benefit from being reminded of ourselves and instructed by. Because we, like they, are not by nature forgiving and gracious and tender and merciful. Our hearts, like their hearts, are not soft and loving and ready to reconcile and receive those who have hurt us back into our lives. We, like they, are in danger of being outwitted by the enemy. Of being, we're in danger of being severe, of causing others to be overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. And we, like the Corinthians, need to know and remember that the work of Jesus Christ not only achieved our forgiveness, but also accomplished our freedom from bitterness and hatred and failure of forgiving others. As we have been forgiven, we are to forgive. You all know the verses. As we look back at Corinthians, and we, you may recall that the Corinthians, uh, these letters, <clears throat> as we read them, we, we are in a way listening to one side of a conversation. Right? And you'll recall as well that 2 Corinthians is actually not the second letter to the Corinthians. It's probably the third or fourth letter that he sent to them. Those other letters, by God's providence, have not come down to us. Uh, but they're part of Paul's interaction with them and his correspondence with the Corinthian church. After Paul sent 1 Corinthians, he made a painful visit to them. Right? We know this from the letters that we do have. He also sent Timothy and Titus along with another letter, which Titus hand-delivered to the Corinthian church. And this is referred to historically as the stern letter right, that he hand-delivered, Titus hand-delivered. We don't have this letter. Some say it's now lost. Uh, I don't think that language lines up with what Scripture tells us about the sovereignty of God, uh, right? That is his independent control over all things. This stern letter that we no longer have, according to God's providence, was not preserved for us. And that's okay, right? It's okay that we don't have it. Because if God intended for us to have it, we would have it. But we don't, and that's all right. Uh, so back to 2 Corinthians. When we read it, we see that Paul had been very badly mistreated by the church, when he returned to visit them. There was an anger towards Paul that had been fomented by these men whom Paul calls false apostles in chapter 11. He says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Right? And so they not only instigated anger against Paul, but some of them were teaching false doctrine. Right? These were the ones who uh, were the opposite of Paul. Right? They were eloquent speakers. Right? They were false teaching Powerful speaking, Paul-hating men, stirring up the church at Corinth. And it's after Titus meets up with Paul and he tells him what's happening in Corinth that Paul, in turn, writes this letter to the 2 Corinthians. And our passage this morning tells us about these men and the damage that they had caused the church in their attack on Paul. As we look at verses 1 to 4, Paul here, what's he doing? He's reminding them of this painful visit made prior to the letter that we're reading. And again, this is after he sent 1 Corinthians, and then he heard back from Timothy that all was not well at Corinth. Right? So there's the letter, then this painful visit, and the problems remain. And Paul says this in verse 1, and we see these in, this, in these texts, in, in these uh, verses. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I caused you pain, right, another painful visit. For if I caused you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I, come, when I came, I might not suffer pain for those who should have made me rejoice, for I felt sure of all of you, 
that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundance of love that I have for you. Right, so we see that there, this other letter, this painful visit. And then in verse 5, Paul mentions the pain done to the church by one or more of these unnamed people. And he says, now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it, not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. Right? We don't have precise detail here, exactly what was going on. But Paul does allude to one of the biggest problems that's going on. And that's this. There is this person, at least one person. He refers to him as a he, one individual, perhaps the leader of whatever was going on there, who caused great pain, pain to Paul in particular, and also through these actions greatly damaged the church as a whole. And this resulted in both sorrow and anguish to the whole church. Paul talked about, you'll remember this very thing back in 1 Corinthians 12, Remember when he talked about one member's action affecting the whole body. Right? One member of the body affects the whole of the body. Because they're all members of Christ's body, the church. When one part of the body is afflicted, when it's affected and suffers, as a result of one person, the entire body is afflicted and suffers. And so the person who was attacking Paul and Paul's reputation, they will not prevail, though. Right? Why? Because Paul was an appointed, he was an apostle, he was appointed and sent by Jesus as his apostle to the Gentiles. Christ didn't give the, that authority to someone else trying to assume or force that authority on himself, particularly those with opposite motives from Paul, the sent one. The Lord is not duplicitous, he's not contradictory. He's not going to send one man for one thing and one man for the opposite thing. And this, by the way, is a good reminder for us as well um, about leaders, right? Leadership in the church even. Uh, those who insist that they be chosen, insist that they lead, they reveal their actions in doing so. They reveal their character in doing so. Right? It has been well said and often said, you may have heard this, that the first qualification for leadership is the admission of a lack of qualification. Right? And that makes sense. There's humility there. It's so true. And so helpful for church leaders as well. And all of your alarm bells should be going off and your red flags going up when a person insists that he take office in power and title. It's a dangerous thing. Church leadership is servant leadership. Right? It's ministerial. That is, it's uh, a ministry of service, not magisterial, lording it over the people. Right? Because we take our model from Jesus. Right? He came to... Not, uh, he came to be sir, uh, to serve, right? Um, and so these people attacking Paul, they also will not succeed because the attacks fall not only to Paul, but attacking the Paul, as we said, the whole church is injured. And this is a good warning for us as well, brothers and sisters. Right? We, must, we must take care in our speech and our action to and about one another. Right? You children, too, this is a good reminder, a good thing for you to be thinking about, even in your young age. Right? We shouldn't assume just because a man is a, an elder or a pastor that it's open season and allowable to just berate and tear them down. They are your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's the same with anyone in your church family. Insulting, injuring, attacking them. And anyone in the family is like a self-inflicted wound. Right? I know, you know we all have aches and pains. I know when my back's bothering me, I don't attack my back. I don't hit my back. It doesn't make sense. 
And so through the work of Paul and Timothy and Titus, this man was dealt with in some manner by church discipline. Right? He was confronted, and something happened there. Look at verse 6. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. You see that? What's going on there? This punishment is a formal decision of some kind made by the majority of the church. As we look at the totality of Scripture, it seems that it was made by the, uh, the leader standing for the truth, representing the larger, the majority part of the church. And this formal verdict had come to this man and the minority who followed him in their efforts against Paul's authority and Paul's teaching. Right? And we see what's taking place here. And then the target of this person's attack, right? Paul himself, what does he do? He exhorts them to do what? To forgive and to comfort him. To not be overly harsh with him. But again, he says to them to forgive and comfort him that he might not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Can you imagine that? Paul, the persecuted one, seeking forgiveness for his persecutor. How is that? How, can, how could he do that? It's not a normal thing for us to do in our flesh, right? It's not a normal thing to do from our own instincts. Well, it's not hard to imagine how he would do this because you remember that Paul used to be called Saul, right? You know that Saul. And you remember Saul, he went from place to place persecuting the church. In Acts 8, we read about this, and it says, But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. It says he was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priests and he asked for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that is, believers, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. But we know what happens next, right? You know the story. And Saul has an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. And you know what's interesting and related to what we've been talking about this morning? Did you ever notice in that meeting between Jesus and Saul what Jesus says regarding the persecution of believers? I don't know if you've ever thought about this. But the Lord says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you? And Jesus says, I am Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. Right? The Lord so identifies with his people that in persecuting the church, they're persecuting Jesus, he says. Right? And we know what happens after this. The great Saul becomes little Paul. Right? That's what Paul means. Paulus is small or little. And so he goes from Saul to small. Right? And it's because of this that the persecuted can move in love and concern and grace and forgiveness to his persecutor because he was once the great persecutor. And Paul knows that he himself has been forgiven and shown love and reconciliation by the Lord of glory in forgiving him. For many people, discipline is always and forever a negative and destructive thing. But that's so off the mark. 
It's so off the mark. We can never miss the discipling in the discipline. Right? There's a reason that they're connected linguistically. Right? Discipline is part of discipleship. And it's a necessary act at times. One of the goals of discipline is restoration of the one who's being disciplined. If they're repentant, to restore them back. And it is, quite frankly, if you've ever seen this done, it's, it's quite a beautiful thing. It's a glorious thing. A fallen brother, repentant, restored back to the church, loved and whole. And this is what Paul's intention is here. It's what his goal is with this man and the church of Corinth. He's trying to spare this man from ongoing and unnecessary shame and sorrow. Forgive, he says, and comfort him. It's not a matter of excusing or ignoring the horrible wrong and sin that he had committed. But now that he's been disciplined and he's repented, he's not to be pushed away from the church, cut off from the church. And again, for all of us, brothers and sisters, we need to remember that the very place we need to be in all of our weakness and folly and failure is in the house of the Lord with the body of Christ. For us, it is here that we are reminded again of the gospel and receive again words of comfort and grace and forgiveness. And we are restored and strengthened by the Lord to make it through back into the world until we can come again and again be refreshed and reminded of the gospel as the people of God. Repentant sinners not only long deeply for the means of grace, but we need them so desperately. We need them so desperately. We need to be washed by the word, and to receive him again in the sacrament, and all undergirded and strengthened by prayer. So verse 8 says, I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. I beg you. And then Pastor Paul, right, very pastoral, he says in verse 9, he gives us the reasoning, he says, for this is why I wrote, that I might test you, and know whether you are obedient in everything. He's talking about their obedience in forgiving this repentant and restored man. Right? This is, there's a lot of gravity what's going on here. Right? This disciplined man had been, uh, he had challenged the apostle who was sent by Jesus with the message and authority of the one he represents, Jesus. He's the sent one of Christ to the Gentiles. And the majority of the church who disciplined this man for what? For challenging that authority. They cannot now ignore and challenge that same authority by ignoring Paul's instruction to receive and forgive and comfort that man. Right? Do you see that? This is, this is the logic of what Paul's saying. Will they acknowledge Paul's authority as the sent one of Jesus Christ, an apostle? Will they forego their anger and their offense and sacrifice all of that hurt for the sake of this man in love? It's a hard thing. It's not possible without the empowering grace of Christ. We cannot do this in our own flesh. But we can in the Spirit, with the power and presence of the Spirit working in our hearts. And so Paul, as he closes this section, he brings it all back to the Gospel, as we should always come back to the Gospel. He says in verse 10, Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, even if I if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ 
so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Right? Because we are not perfect, and we should never pretend to be, we must be willing to forgive others who have wronged us. We must, because we will need that forgiveness when we sin against them as well. As we've been forgiven, we are to forgive. And again, dear Christian, and you children especially as well, your attitude towards forgiveness, and for those seeking it, reveals much of your understanding of the gospel, of basic things, of your forgiveness in Christ. All of us were unworthy sinners, were we not? Unable to earn anything from God. But in His mercy and in His grace, He sent Jesus to come and live and die for our sins and to give us the perfect righteousness of Christ for us. Forgiveness, brothers and sisters, is a fruit of the gospel. And then in verse 11, very interesting warning, he says that Satan thrives on unforgiveness in the church especially and lies in wait to exploit it. Right? What a wicked delegation this is. Whenever the enemy gets us to do his bidding. May we be, always be aware of this. Because that's what happens whenever believers are harsh and unforgiving with their fellow fallen sinner, justified though they are. And when we refuse to forgive one another, that's exactly what's going on. Satan gets a foothold, and he continues to damage and hurt the church. And what's the result? What's the result? The division that's planted and sown undermines the message of the gospel and the forgiveness of sins that is foundational to and flowing from that glorious gospel. And that forgiveness and love is to characterize the church. Right? We don't need to idolize uh, love as some romantic, silly thing that the culture has made it to be. We are to be characterized by true, active Biblical love. Remember the early church, right? There's this well-known um, line that you probably all heard if you studied church history. The description of the church, it says they knew them, believers, the Christian church, they knew them by their love. By their love, preeminently. This is what they were known for. Not a Ned Flanders, plasticky, phony kind of love but real, active, through the hard things, love, that forgives and models what we've been given in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, dear believer in Jesus Christ, as we conclude, and we go forth from this place, back into the world, in such need of the forgiveness of Christ, and the new heart that Christ gives, let us always remember that Jesus was overwhelmed by the most excessive sorrow to the ultimate severity, so that those who entrust themselves upon him would receive grace and forgiveness and comfort and restoral. That is good news. That is the greatest news. He is the one by whom and through whom we are able and enabled to forgive others. That is our calling. It's our mandate. And as you sit there, and as you realize that you can't and don't do this as you should, and I'm right there with you, let us even in that remember that Christ did so perfectly. He did so perfectly. 
And let us remember that in Him we begin to do that very thing. As He works in our hearts and He moves us, He softens that heart to forgive and love others for the love that we've been shown. Are you in Him? Are you in Him? Have you fled to Him in faith? Flee to Him, friends. Flee to Him always, dear Christian. Trust Him. And His promise to you is that as we come, He will, by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, He will change you. He will change your heart and free it to forgive and to reconcile and to truly love. My, my, my uh, professor used to say, Christ is the power provider. He's also the passion producer. He's the one that produces passion in your heart for others, for him to love others. Knowing all of this, brothers and sisters, let us go in love, living our lives for him and bringing the world to the Savior and the Savior to this world. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, your word. We confess that we are so slow to believe and so slow to act. Father, we pray that we would be sensitive to your softening, that we would be aware and sensitive to the bitterness and harshness that we hold on to the black parts of our heart. Lord, we pray that you would continue by the work of your spirit to cleanse us, help us to know the freedom from these very things, even as we are freed from sin as we are united to Jesus, and help us indeed to walk in newness of life. We pray that you would be with us now. We thank you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, thank you for tuning in this morning. Uh, if you'd like more information uh, about Providence, if you're in the greater Fort Wayne area and would like to visit us, please go to our website, providencefortwayne.org. If you'd like to give, if you were blessed by this message, if you'd like to have more information about the faith or about growing in your faith, uh, we'd love for you to get connected with us. Thank you. We've set up a simple way for you to give to our church online. If you want to give a quick gift, enter an amount, select a fund, then enter your email address and your first and last name. Then enter your payment details and click give. And that's it. We'll send a receipt to your email address. To use a saved payment method or manage a recurring donation, you'll want to log in. Click the login button and we'll send a code to your phone or email account. Verify the code and you're in. Now your payment info is ready to go when you want to make a donation. To manage your giving details, switch over to the My Giving page. Here you'll see more ways you can give. You can also add a payment method, a bank account or a debit card, set up a recurring donation, and view your giving history. To get started, visit our website or download the Church Center app in your Android or Apple App Store.